Welcome, friends and fam, to Interlocutor Radio. I'm your host, Drew Aces, and today we've got with us Coach Turby. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing good, man. How are you? I'm doing great. It's a Saturday morning. I can't complain. Um, if you're not busy right this second, go check out this man's pinned tweet, at Coach underscore Turby. It lays out an incredible journey of an truly unstoppable spirit. So, I think in lieu of starting with a regular interview question, um, tell me some stories. Uh, let's start with something in your formative years. I've noticed shifts in my own thinking that didn't even occur to me until later introspection. So, what's something that happened to you as a kid or as a teen that started to shape the mold of the man you are today? Hmm, that's a really good question. <clears throat> a story from my childhood that shaped who I am today. Hmm. I would say, I would say, man, a story from my childhood that shaped who I am today. I, I wouldn't say a story, I, I don't think I have a specific story, but there are like a lot of events with my father to where he showed me by his example to be calm in every situation. And he had this cool about him that was like unmatched by anyone I've ever seen. Um, even when my mom would like be all dramatic. I'm Dominican. So I, I was born in the Dominican Republic and then all, as well as my parents. And we came here to the U.S. when in New York. So we were living in New York. They were hard workers. Um, and my dad worked a lot. He, he worked as a cab driver for over 10 years. And then he went into truck driving. So he went into driving 18 wheelers. And it was, I guess it was during that time when he started driving trucks, he had a lot of bosses with like little one to two to three truck companies. And for some reason, like my father was, was the most honest person I've ever known. And he was always like under somebody who was like, so much the opposite, like real, just rude, nasty guys, right? And he he would like go out of his way to save money for the boss all the time. Like that's just who he was. And they would treat him badly. And every time my mom would get at him for it, he just had this calm about him. And like there was nothing that could upset him. And thinking about it today, I try to have that in every stressful situation because I know the benefit of those moments where we pause and we can think and think about what's the next action I'm going to take. And every other, every time during my child, like, I was not like that as a child. I was always like hyper and let's go and let's do this. And like, if we were friends and you had a bad idea, 
before you got done telling your bad idea, I was already doing <laughs> the thing, <laughs> right? So that's kind of who I, I like. I was always getting into trouble and, and, and whatnot. And um, I had to, so English was actually my second language. And when I was in school, kids picked on me. So I was always like fighting and like trying to prove myself um, and like people pleaser, all that. So like we were hanging out, you had a bad idea. I'm like, let's do it right now, you know? Um, so like growing up, I guess to, to, to wrap this all up and, and answer your question and put it all together, you know, I was the opposite of, of, of how my father's temperament was. And in my 20s, I learned that I had to make that shift because, uh, you know, I was paying for it. Um, so, so I would say that, you know, if I had, a, you know, a memory from my childhood that kind of shaped who I am today is definitely my father's calm presence. Yeah, I, I think that that probably describes a lot of young men and that we're we we are much more emotionally driven and it takes time and age and wisdom to get to that point to really be able to and you know, so some people never learn it to take that moment of pause and be self-aware and you know take that you know that just a deep breath and just a couple seconds of just stopping and just not letting your emotions take over and just just taking that bit of pause and thinking through it and thinking you know what do I have control over? What don't I have control over? And then coming at it from that angle, really, uh, you know, that's something that, that's really helped me. I know we've discussed a lot in the uh, in the uh, stoic spaces that we met in. Yes. As a as a fellow follower of stoic principles, I'm sure you're familiar with the idea of the only thing worth fearing is abdicating your moral responsibility. We can strive to live that way, but that's almost an unattainable perfection uh, to only have that one fear. So as someone who's got enough self-awareness to learn from your mistakes and come at life with such a, a fervent positivity, what do you fear? Um, well, I'm human. So I would say that fear is a momentary emotion. And we all have things that Sometimes we fear and sometimes we don't. And I'm very, you know, as you said, like young men are emotional. I've always been very emotional, um, which goes against what men are supposed to be, right? Like we're supposed to be uh, strong or at least what society says, you know, strong men don't cry and all this bullshit that isn't true um because you know i mean <laughs> like i'm a real man i'm married with kids you know um i work out every day <laughs> um I, I do manly stuff but i'm emotional so like there are moments where those intrusive thoughts come in and i entertain them and i feel them for example, the fear of losing a child, that to me like, is, is the ultimate pain. Um, I, I lost my father 
a year and a half ago. And that was painful. It was a process. Um, but I still don't think there's anything worse than losing a child. So that's something that I fear, you know, um, and, and, and I strive to, to build a fortress, <laughs> so to say, in every way around my children, you know, um, in terms of the education that they, that they get, the, the, you know, the, everything they learn, the environments they're in physically. Um, so I, I, I feel that it's my duty to protect my children. So I, I think that's one of my biggest fears, honestly, because I mean, I, I've been through a lot and, and even with my children, we, there was a phase where we were essentially homeless and house hopping. And so I, I don't fear poverty. You know, I hate it. <laughs> I definitely never want to go back to that point. And I'm blessed to be far from it today. But I I don't fear that, you know. I I I, I fear I think I think that's my biggest fear, honestly. Losing everything and starting over really like takes away a lot of fear. It's like when once you've built it back up, you're like, I can you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not afraid of, you know, starting from zero again. Uh, it was interesting you mentioned building a fortress to keep your children protected because when they're, when they're young, you have to build that strong fortress and you are 100% responsible for their safety. But as they grow, we almost have to, to slowly break down that fortress and take down some of those walls and teach them to be stronger so they can because we, as as much as we would like to as parents, we can't protect them forever. And I think one of the most important things to educate your kids is how to be able to come at the world and handle it when you're inevitably not around. I mean, not not even when you're gone, but just when you're not right there with them. Uh, yeah, you've really got to um, to uh, give them that strength and that fortitude to be able to 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 handle things on their own. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I, I, as you're saying that, there are a few things that's coming to mind. I think um, for me, um, it's interesting because um, I've learned there are like four levels of learning, right? And, 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 and there's stages of like growth in child development. Um, I, I went through a time where I had, I had the time to read a lot of uh, child development books because my wife was pregnant and I was real excited and um, so I was like I gotta learn how to teach my kid the best way right um, so um, before I get into that there's a lot of grown people and I was one of them who were not taught to be responsible in every area of life so we and 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 when we aren't responsible we react to things right like for example if we're not taught how to control our emotions then when things happen to us we react rather than take a moment 
and respond, right? Because to be responsible means to be able to respond with ability, right? Responsibility, your ability to respond with ability. So did I get that from you in the spaces? That, that that was something that I uh I, I uncovered a couple months ago that I'm I'm very much about entomology and uh you know mm-hmm. where words come from and yeah that responsibility yeah I, I think that did come from you I think I have to credit you with that maybe. one I always like that one a maybe lot. I'll have to I'll have to credit who I learned it from um which is Myron Golden he's he's one of my mentors I look up to him a lot um but but yeah you know we we have to be able to do that and so. Um, when we uh, talk about children and, and, and raising children, we have to teach them to respond with ability in different areas of life, right? So not just emotionally, but also if you don't know about finances, then when you get hit with a financial situation, you react rather than respond. You don't have the ability to respond if you've never been taught, right? So um same thing in a relationship right when you're with your partner if something happens and you don't know what to do you just react same thing in parenting you don't know what to do you react if you weren't taught how to drive right or the correct way if if you don't go through um you know certain levels of learning um while you're driving then when something happens and you're driving, you're just going to react. You're not going to know how to properly respond, right? So in every situation, it's important to have responsibility, right? And, and so the four levels of learning, I'll, I'll go through them fairly quickly. Um, number one is training. So like in the, fir- the early stages of, of uh, I'll use the example of a child, right, of children. Um, the, the early stages of life, we we're training our children so we're you know we're when they're babies they don't they don't know anything and we tell them what to do we tell them what things are right this is blue this is red this is how you walk this is how you talk this is how you say this word a b c d e f g one two three four five six seven eight nine ten right we're telling them all the stuff we're teaching we're training them on what the stuff is and then we teach them on why it is like when when kids go into that toddler stage they want to know why everything right why is this why is that why is it blue why is it red you know why is it up why is it left <laughs> um so we're, we're we're teaching them how to do stuff and then we teach them why that is we teach them the reason for things right and then we go into Ah, I forgot what the word is, something with a T. But the next phase is transitioning. There you go. Is to where now we show them, okay, this is how you do this. This is how you do this on your own. This is how you do this on your own. And we're supervising, right? Because now they know what to do. They know why they need to do it. But like the adult things of the world or like just life, right? Um, When you're in an argument, hey, do this because of this. And then this is how you would respond to that. So normally like the the ages that 
that I was taught. Um, it's like zero to four is the training. And then four to eight is, uh, is teaching. And then eight to 12 is transitioning. And so then when the child turns 12, you trust them under your supervision to do what everything that you've taught them to do. And then when they turn 16, they're an adult. Um, so they're kind of an adult, but you know, by the time a human is 16, we're really like able to procreate and physically we're in the adult prime of our lives. Like if we're talking biologically speaking, you know, by the time usually, right, um, the majority of people get to 16, they're like kind of at the end stages of puberty and they're like, you know, growing into their adult bodies, right? So throughout these stages, like it's different. And for me right now, it's interesting because I have children in in the different stage in the th first three stages so like with my our baby daughter i'm like telling her everything she needs to do with the boys they're both in the teaching like asking a bunch of questions and then our oldest daughter um you know i'm uh transitioning her into like learning everything um that she's gonna need for the real world um you know how uh, one one of the big things that we're teaching her now is like how to dissect information and be able to communicate it in her own words. Because I think that that's a hugely important skill and she like loves being on video and camera and stuff. So, um, you know, I, I figure that would help her seeing the trajectory of how the world is going or whatnot. Um, but you can use this the same levels as like when you're teaching someone how to drive, right? You get in the car, you don't know nothing. It's like, this is the left hand signal. You know, this is how you turn. First, you put your seatbelt. First, you do this. You check your mirrors, right? You do this. You're telling someone what to do. And then you tell them why, right? You need your mirrors so that when you're driving, you know, you can see other vehicles and your rear view mirror and all that. You know, you need the windshield wipers. This is why you use the brake. And then you let someone drive, right? And you're right there. Like if you're teaching a kid or if you're teaching an adult, whatever, when you're learning, the person's right there. And they're like telling you the whole way. They're like, ah, nah, nah, nah. usually they're scared. They're like, ah, please don't kill me. <laughs> so, yeah. And then you get your learner's permit. Someone can be right there. You pass your test. You're trusted to do the right thing in the vehicle, right? So it's, it's, it's a repetitive cycle and, and um, yeah, going back to you. <laughs> Hope that answers the question. And then they, and then they, they get that driver's license and they're trusted to be out there and you're terrified oh because God. as a parent, you know that, um, you know, there's, it's so hard just as a human being to learn from other people's mistakes. Yes. And there's so many lessons we want to impart to our children that they just have to go through on their own. And as a parent, that's just so tough to watch, you know, 
watch my kids grow up, I just think about, oh, well, the stuff I put my dad through. Just, <laughs> oh, man. But, um, <laughs> uh, and, you know, yes, you're, you're physically grown by 15, 16, but there's so much, there's another seven to eight years of mental development where your brain's not even finished, you know, forming yet. So, yeah, it's, it's terrifying. It's funny. You, you use the driving analogy because, one of the things I drilled into my kids for the longest time, um, about 16 years ago, I was on my bike and I got hit by a car. Uh, thankfully, wasn't bad, but it taught me a lesson and I drilled this into them for years and they they, they roll their eyes anytime I bring it up, but I, I, I got it through to them. I always said, if you learn nothing else from me, if you learn from no other mistake that I've made, learn that cars are hard and people are soft. And whatever's hard is always going to win. So don't be don't be afraid of cars. But if you're under fifty, if you're going out, it's probably going to be related to some kind of accident, some kind of vehicle thing. So just treat them with respect, like the two thousand pound bullets that they kind of are, you know. And right. it, it was it was tricky to not have them be afraid of it, you know. Still, you know, be be confident in your abilities behind the wheel. But when you're walking, like, you know, let people know, you know, keep, keep your lights on. And, you know, it's just easier to notice there's, there's something in your brain that you see those two lights like, oh, that, that's a car. I mean, think of all the times you've been driving and somebody's got, uh, we used to call it a, a padiddle, but when you've only got one headlight and you think that that's a motorcycle <laughs> or something and it gets closer and you're like, oh, that, that's a car. It's like your brain just associates that. So it's a padiddle. I love that. You're talking about education and that always brings me back to, to curiosity. And I think that's, that's the best thing you can do as a parent is to just foster curiosity. And like the younger they are, and they ask those questions, just anything that they're curious about, just feed that, give them as much information as you can, even if you don't know anything about it. And something that I, my kids have taught me so much just by being curious about it. And I'm like, and, you know, with us growing up, we didn't have YouTube, we couldn't just pull out this candy bar sized thing out of our pocket and have access to, you know, the multitude of, of human knowledge. So I'm, I'm very much about, you know, if my kid asks me something, I don't know the answer. I'm like, I don't know. Let's, let's look it up. Let's, let's learn it together. And, uh, you know, just foster that, that curiosity. I love that. All right. I want to get into your wrongful incarceration, um, specifically the mental fortitude built during your wrongful incarceration. But um, with whatever you're comfortable sharing, yeah. set the stage for us. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so in my, in my early 20s, um, I, I was pressured by my mom to go back to college because she was like, you got to get a degree, you got to get a degree, right? So I'm like, okay, cool, whatever. Um, and I had already like hustled before. I mean, I grew up in the Bronx and right next to the projects. Um, and, it, you know, we were basically poor. Like even, even as a kid, I remember like stealing bikes and like selling them. <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> But being poor is tough. Um, I mean, you got to do what you got to do. It's tough. 
and like you see other kids with stuff and you're like, I want that. And you go to the store and your parents can't get it for you. It's not that they don't want to. It's like they just can't. And like, yeah, they were they were so, such hard workers. And and so like as a, as a teenager, once I'm like, OK, um, I'm I'm. I'm ready to be out in the world. Like I started making money on my own. So she wanted me to go back to school and I'm like, okay, I'll do business and accounting because math was always super easy for me. And I was was always really good at math and I actually hated reading. Um, and, and so when I graduated, I gave her my degree, never went back to, any professional thing and i started my own business i started with like drive a car service business i had uber at first and then i like moved on to just private clients Um, because i was in new york city so like i had a lot of wall street clients i had some clients from Uh, everywhere okay yeah all walks of life and so there was this one guy you were discussing your um, your car service who was you know dealing some stuff upstate um, of course, I'm not nope, going to you're good. any names, but I have my car service business and, you know, it's my job to take people from point A to point B. If you get in the car at the airport, you have luggage. I, it's not my job to search your luggage, right? So, um, oh, oh, so no. that was my job, right? Taking people from point A to point B, whatever you have, like that's on you. And so. I have this customer and he, you know, he's doing this thing. I don't care. Like you do what you do. I'm getting my money. Right. Um, so I do, a tr- I take, you know, someone upstate and I'm getting ready to leave. It's crazy how this whole thing went down. man. I'm getting ready to go. The guy's like, yo, can you do me a favor? Can you go and get me some Wendy's? Cool. I'm about to take like a four or five hour trip, you know, back down to the city. Like you hungry, you don't got no vehicle up here. Or maybe, I don't know what your situation is, but you know, you want some food. Cool. I go back. I get the guys. I go to Wendy's, go get the food. I come back and there's like a cop in the room and, you know, he's like, oh, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm bringing this guy food. I'm getting out of here. <laughs> and then he, and then, and then the idiot in the room is like, oh, yeah, that's my friend that I was just telling you about. And blah, blah, blah. I'm like, what are you talking about, dude? You know what I'm saying? So he was, I guess he was trying to tell some story that I don't know what he told the guy, the cop, but. You know, they're asking for my information. I'm giving my information. I show them my license. I'm a cab driver. You know, I dropped this guy off. Um, I don't know what's going on. I got to go back to work, right? They're like, nah, you ain't going nowhere. So long story short, they were already investigating these people. And, um, I mean, they searched my car. There was nothing. They searched me. There was nothing, right? But because I had brought several different people to that same location you know it was suspicious 
and they said or believed that I knew something about what was going on, right? And this is the federal government. Um, this it wasn't like state, you know. So these guys, I guess, were you know they've been doing their thing for a while. Um, and yeah. So long story short, um, I'm in there for conspiracy. Which means, literally, if you look it up, it's like, basic conspiracy can mean, I know that you do something illegal, and I don't go to the authorities and report you. So because I don't report you, I am now helping you by keeping my silence. So, you know, a lot of people... And you didn't even know anything. And, and, and a lot of people that... Right! Like... I don't know what the hell is going on. I'm just a freaking driver. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's fishy. Yeah. I don't have to ask any questions. It's not my place to ask questions. Right? So, um, here's the thing, though. 97, the, the federal government has a 97% conviction rate, which means, like, they can get you on whatever. You know what I mean? Like, so that happens, and um, I get sentenced to time served because I don't have nothing to do with anything. So, you know, why keep me in jail? Um, and then immigration comes and snatches me up and says, no, buddy, you're not a citizen. So now you got to go back to the Dominican Republic. Oh, no. So I fought that, obviously. Um, and, I mean, th by the grace of God, I, I beat that. And I'm here still. Um, but, like, it, it, it's crazy because it was a whole year, right? During, like, um, jail, like, federal, being a federal prisoner, and then be an immigration detainee, which is a prisoner. Um, yep. It, it was a lot, you know, and, and especially like, you know, knowing that like, yo, I'm just like, I came from doing stuff and like, I'm not even doing anything. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm trying to be a better person. I had met my wife at that time. She was pregnant with... How old were you at the time? I was 20... I was 24. Because I spent my 25th... Oh, I spent my 25th birthday. I drew a cake for myself on a piece of paper, and I spent the night... Oh, man. I spent the night crying over that cake. Wow. Yeah. So, you know... Um, so, yeah, that was... That was what happened that that ended up in that year and those first few months, man, it was like, I'm like calling like, yo, I'm not supposed to freaking be in here. Like I didn't do anything. You know what I'm saying? I'm calling the lawyer. He's like, yeah, we're going to try to get you out. Um, we got to, we're trying, we're going to try to get a court, a, a court date in, you know, in, uh, in a few, in a few weeks. Cause that wasn't even sentencing for me. Like I was literally just going to court um, 
to get a date or something like that. I don't even remember all the details. Like, you know, a lot of stuff happened. But so, so yeah. So he's like, oh, I'm going to try to get your court date, blah, 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 blah. Okay, cool. Um, and then there was like weeks of that at first. So it was like false hope all the time. And it was depressing, man. Like I had some really dark days where I didn't want to be alive. And taking that other route would have been so easy. But thankfully, you know, I just thought about, you know, my fiance and the kids. Like you have a two-year-old and she's pregnant like i can't leave her Man. by herself to be like what's going to happen to my kids they're going to be in the system you know freaking grow up in the projects like so for me there was like no other choice but for me to grow from that to like eat all that pain and and then i had smoked weed from a kid up until that point and like that was my getaway like emotionally like i'm feeling overwhelmed cool i'm gonna go calm myself down and then think about the situation and that was like my moment of pause right that was my moment of like let me chill out and and, and decide what to do and i didn't have that so there was a lot of forced learning it was forced i had no choice it was yeah, I bet. It was me in a cell. And before that, like, I had anger issues out the ass, bro. Like, when, it, when I, I, I had a past, before I met my wife, I lived in the city with my ex. And, dude, every time we argued, I would punch holes in the walls. Like, I, it, it was bad, you know? So, when I was in there, I would punch holes in the stone wall. What is that going to do? Like, hurt myself and then i remember i would remember like bruce lee used to punch concrete so i would literally like when i was out of control out of my mind like i would stand in front of a wall and punch it so my knuckles bleed so my hands were bleeding and i couldn't pick them up and that for me was like you know a relief from the mental pain that i was going through um man i <laughs> i understand I, I i used to be at a place where you know i'd get mad and punch holes in the wall and doing enough of that that it's almost like when you get drunk that next morning when you have a hangover and that oh i'm never drinking again it's like when you you know i remember getting pissed and punching a glass and cutting my knuckle open and it's leaking blood everywhere and um just thinking oh, that was so stupid and like you know that 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 next morning that hang when your knuckles are swollen from punching through something and you're like why couldn't i just take a minute to consider the consequences of my actions so my hand is swollen for a week and you know work is hard you know because i work with my hands and whatnot and it's just 
it it almost you know we were talking earlier about your brain still developing at 24 man i mean it's like yeah dumb. my hand my hand is broke my knuckles are broken like this this knuckle goes to the side when i open my hand because <laughs> i had a fight on a on a train one day because this guy was looking at my girl wrong so <laughs> just that itself to tell you a lot about <laughs> how i was before um <laughs> but yeah don't punch holes in the wall so, right yeah listen to us kids it took us 10 years to learn these lessons to yeah it, it really does almost take like a decade to learn how to stop and breathe so when i see some some young kid and i'm talking to some of these younger people in the spaces that are in their mid-20s and they they understand the stuff and they have that self-awareness i'm like hold on to that yes. tight don't let that go keep keep working on yourself because i wish i could yes. learn this stuff sooner you know, i i had my kids young so i grew up with them and uh learned so many lessons alongside them like my daughter she's she's gonna be 18 soon and at the age i am i'm the same age my dad was when he had me so he was he was an adult and he he had gotten past a lot of all that stuff and yeah so i'm just i i think maybe it's just for me but i think on this journey having kids young it forced me to be a lot more honest with my children than i think i would have been if i had them later and just kind of walk them through my thought process and say okay yeah i i realize i'm making a mistake and learn from from me working my way through this mistake mentally and not just from that mistake but i think so often to 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 memories when i was a kid and just those random things that stick in your head and that you know people probably don't even think about forgot you know just some some trip to burger king or something right but you never know when one of those memories is going to stick and just last for a long time. So as a parent, you have to keep that in the back of your head, almost the front of your mind, and be like, I don't know what of these memories are going to stick for 10, 20 years. So as a parent, I've, I've got to be on my best behavior <laughs> um, all the time. So you don't know what stick with them for a long time. I know. I know. It's, it's funny you say that because I absolutely love those moments with my children now because of everything you just said i try and create those cherished moments all yes. the time all yes. the time um and, and i try to like drop knowledge on them when we have those moments so mm -hmm. that and and, and and this is like I don't know, just me in my head, I'm like playing a movie of like, oh, when they get older and they remember this moment, how are they going to remember this moment? You know, um, so I, I think about that a lot when when I'm when I'm in those like when I'm interacting with my kids, because. Man, I see a lot of parents around their kids, but not interacting with their kids and there's a huge difference because they just want our attention you know it's like if i'm in the room if we're all home and somebody's watching tv we're not interacting with each other at that moment 
you know? So are we actually spending time together? And, you know, a lot of us settle for like, you know, I go to work, I come home, you know, we have dinner and, and then everybody goes and does their own thing for the rest of the night. Like for me, it's like, nah, I don't want to do that. I want to like interact with my kids on a daily basis and, and ask them like, Hey, what'd you learn today? How was your day? Um, you know, and be genuinely interested in their journey. Cause that's what they want. Like, that's what they value the most. You know, we've all heard it. Kids spell love T I M E. It's not really time with you. It's your time listening to them. Yes. Wow. You spell love T I. I like that a lot. That's, that's really good. Um, yeah. But, uh, I, I wanted to ask you when you. Going back to our, our our previous topic, we keep going back to parenting, but I, I think it's a real uh, good amalgam for, for for growth and how we learn and how we how we transfer that information. But um, walk me through what was going to your head when when they first walk you to that cell and those doors clink shut and you're either alone or with the cellmate. But just when those when you first heard that clink and that lock, what's because uh, we know how, how how slow the judicial system moves, and you know the cops. As far as they're as far as they're concerned, they did their job. You know this guy's probably doing something, so we put him away. Let let the judicial system take care of that. But um, what was going through your head at that first moment, and then what sort of lessons did you have to teach yourself over that year? Um, I'm sure patience if you hadn't learned patience then i'm sure you learned it then but uh yeah what 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 sort of things did you have to learn at that ripe young age of 24 to get through that like you mentioned entertaining thoughts of 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 ending it and you know what 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 stopped that what what did you put in your mind to to get in the way of that and I, I imagine it's something you had to put in consistently. I mean, just knowing that that the system did you so dirty, you, you know? I mean, um, I, I love Dr. King quotes, and one of my favorites is, it is your moral responsibility to disobey unjust laws. And mm. your situation is almost the inverse of that. Uh, did it cause you to question your moral responsibility when the system did you so dirty? Sorry, I kind of hit you with a bunch of questions there, but just kind of. Take whatever you want and go from there. I, I'm I'm writing them down, um, <laughs> so that I can answer them all. Uh, and then, can you ask me that last one? Did it cause you to question your moral responsibility? Okay. When. Okay. You were doing what was right. You're you're a young man. You're starting a business. You're just trying to to do what society tells you to do, and it just went so wrong out of no fault of your own. You were you were doing what you're supposed to. So how how does it feel to to get treated with such disrespect? Yeah. So 
um, it's a lot there. So if I'm honest, right? So you guys, the first moment and then the lessons I learned was stop my suicide. Um, and then uh, more responsibility and like how I felt. So I'll, I'll go with the first moment. To be honest, like, can I be 100% honest? I love honesty. I was cocky. So cocky. Prideful. Really? Proud even. Like, like, like if it was a movie, like, oh, yeah, I'm getting out of here. This is stupid. I didn't do nothing. I'm getting out of here. Like, again, I'm from the Bronx, and I used to be in the streets. Like, I've, I've been in, in and out the precinct. So in, in, in New York, they, their system is like, if you do something one time, you go to the precinct, they keep you there for like four to six hours and they let you go. You go back to court. They give you like six months to a year, whatever. If you do something in between that time, and you go to the precinct, you're there for four to six hours. Then they take you to bookings, like central bookings. And then your day for like a, you're in there for like a day or two. You, you go see the judge. And then you go out or you, if it's serious, you go to jail, right? So I've been to bookings a few times um, for like hopping the train, disorderly conduct, weed. Uh, that's basically it. Disorderly um, conduct, for those that don't know, is really just... The cop decides you're being rude to them, so they decide to throw you in the car. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Seriously. Like, they'll pull up. What are y'all doing? We're not doing anything. What do you want? You can't talk to me like that. They search us. They don't find anything, but while they're searching us, they're being rough. So they're cursing. We're cursing. People cursing each other out. Somebody's resisting. You know, so now you got a resisting. group of teenage kids yep. <laughs> resisting. So now they're all going to jail for disorderly conduct. Or now you're all getting disorderly conduct, right? Stupid. It, it, it happens in the hood every day. Yeah, it's every sad. Day. So especially, you know, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm dark-skinned. Um, you know, I'm Spanish. Whatever. So... I've been through that. So I'm like, they don't have nothing. I didn't do nothing. This has nothing to do with me. I'm getting out of here. Right? I didn't understand the severity of it. And I have my own car service business. Man, I'll never forget it. Like, I wore a three-piece suit to court. Like, I made my first, I hit my first six-figure year right before that. Like, I'm young. I'm flashy. Wow. I got money. I, I'm, I'm doing great. I didn't do nothing. I'm finally walking in the right path, so to say, in my mind. So, like, what you mean? You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm good. Um, when when they took me in, I had I had my my fiance with me and and my best friend at the time. I'm not gonna name anybody. Um, so here's what I did. I left him my phone, my wallet, my book of business, and my Yukon XL Denali. 
okay? Because that's the vehicle I had because I had a private car service business. So I'm taking in the top people. You need an yep. SUV. Yep. Here's my words to him. Like, yo, I just left you the keys of the business. Take care of it. Make money. Pay the bills off. And send me what you can. You know, send me a little something so I could eat and be good and make phone calls every week. Now, mind you, this is, I just handed somebody over a six-figure business, okay? Like, I'm making thousands of dollars a week in profit. So, I'm like, I trust you. You're going to start making good money. You're going to take care of me, you know, and I was like, yo, I really don't need nothing. Like, take care of her until I get out. Mm-hmm. So the first moments, I was cocky. Like, I, I, I got in there. They put me in the cell. I'm like, all right, I'm going to work out. I'm going to do push-ups, and, you know, whatever. I'm going to freaking, I'm going to come out here in a few days and, you know, with a pump. And boy, was I wrong. <laughs> What was I wrong? So, go, go ahead. I was just going to ask, how long did it take for that cockiness to subside and for reality to, to set in? About two weeks. Two I'd weeks? say like a week or two. Probably, maybe three. No. No. It took, so, wow. I, that. See, it's funny how the mind works because of what I just told you. I said two, three weeks, three weeks, right? Because in my mind, it was a long period of time that I was in there feeling good about myself. Mm -hmm. But the reality of it is I went in there five days before my birthday. So it was only five days. But in my mind, it was a lot longer. Because yeah. I remember the fir that first moment of depression was my birthday. Because I was sitting there with that cake, crying my ass off. How could this happen to me? I didn't even do nothing. My friend is no longer in contact with anybody. Like, my mom's calling him. Did not, like, AWOL. Oh, no. So I'm like, what? Like, like what is going on? My lawyer's like, I don't know. You know, they seem... They, they're, they're like, you know, they, they, uh, just, just, just bad stuff. Like, you know what I mean? So, yeah, that was a long five days. I bet. I <laughs> was a long, and I, and I thought it was longer because, like, I'm in there, like, you know, when you, when you first, when you're in federal custody, they take you to like county jails. So I'm in the county jail as a federal inmate. You automatically have status. And so I'm in there like cocky, like I'm going to get out. You know, I got money sitting back at home. I'm in here like making relationships so that I can leverage, you know, my time in there or whatever. And um, yeah, after day five, I remember the next day I couldn't even walk. I didn't I didn't eat. Actually, the day after my birthday, I didn't eat. Um, and, and that's when it started. And 
and it got pretty bad. And they were like trying to feed me drugs, and I didn't want none of that. And I, again, there was many times where like I would just punch the freaking wall and scream until somebody would complain, like, cause so when we went in there, like we had our own cells. And so the, the guy in the cell next to me be like, yo, CEO, he's, he's bugging out. Come get him. You know what I mean? I'm in there, ah, punching the wall, like out of my mind. Um, so yeah, man. Um, so what stopped me, I'll get to the next question. What stopped me was. My, my my fiance was pregnant. So like to me, the thing that meant the most to me was like me getting out and rubbing her pregnant belly. So I had already, I had already, when I went in, I, I mentioned, I, I didn't like books, but I had mentioned, I had read um, Thinking Real Rich and I saw The Secret and I, and I, I think I heard it on audio or something of the sort. But I knew about it, and I and I had so during my teenage years, um, there was a time I lived with with my aunt and uncle in Ohio, and um, they were really big on manifestation and reading and spiritual and spirituality. So I learned a lot about manifesting and visualization. I just never used it, but here I am, like I don't know what to do, so I'm gonna try whatever I have. So I started visualizing my wife, you know, just one moment. It was one moment. It was me sitting there with my wife, rubbing her pregnant belly in the room. Just, and I remember what I said to her, like, it was only six words in that entire vision or seven words. I said, I love you. She said, I love you too. That was it. I had felt my daughter's presence in that room. I felt my son's presence in the room, her presence. That was my vision for a year or not for a year, the whole time, but from the time that I started doing it consistently, which was like two months in every day that I would wake up to that, dream about it, go to sleep thinking about it. Um, and, and that's what you know, stop me from hurting myself. The fact that like, you know, I have, I'm, I'm in here, you know, for whatever, but someone made me like I came from my parents and now I'm a parent now. So like I have a responsibility to this two year old, beautiful baby that calls me her dad. And, you know, my fiance is pregnant with a baby that's, I'm the father. So I that responsibility was the only thing that kept me going. Um, and that vision, that vision. And let me tell you, like, it was hard for me because, like, time frames. Women are pregnant for nine months. So what happened? She That's gave birth. And I was, you had to miss the birth, huh? Yep. You know what's crazy? I was calling her while she was giving birth. Wow. The, the phones, the phone access ended at 1115 in the immigration center, right? 1115 at night. I was talking to her in the, she was in the hospital, like 
during labor at 11.08. And I'm like, oh, you know, my wife is strong. Like she has a strong, a high tolerance to pain, which is scary for me. <laughs> but um, so, so like she's on the phone, like contracting, but like talking to me because of the situation. And I'm like, I love you. You know, I'm like, fucking crying because like I can't be there and she's in the hospital. So I'm like, I love you. I love you. I love you. And then, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm going to let you do your thing. You know, I hear the heavy breathing. And, and I remember it was 11.09, I got off the phone, and um, I had, you know, like six minutes left or whatever to, to, to be on the phone, and I was just sitting there crying, and I'm sitting there in front of the phone, and I'm like, you know what, let me call her one more time, and I called at 11.11, didn't pick up, I keep calling, didn't pick up, didn't pick up, didn't pick up, 11.15 comes, you know, CEO's like, yo, you gotta go to, go to bed, all right. No. Can't talk to her. Call her the next day. As soon as I get on the phone, she's like, he was born at 11, 11 or 11, 10. And I was like, wow, man. So, yeah, I had to miss that, man. And it hurt. And I struggled, like, at first because, like, now what do I envision? Now what do I focus on every day if it's not the pregnant belly? You're right. Home. Yeah, that's like, just gone now. So what came next? So now, how much longer were you were you in after that? He was born. He was born February third. I was released June 29th. So he was. I met my son when he, my oldest son, when he was like four or five months old. So March, June. Yeah, four, almost five months. Are you there? So. Yeah, yeah. What what was going through your head then for those next five months? So at first, like at that time already, I had, um, I was reading every day. I was uh, doing Bible study. I was reading the Bible a lot and I was actually leading Bible study. So I was like heavy in my faith. Um. And, and my relationship with God. And, and I like, you know, before I go into that, like, I don't think religion is good for humans. So I don't label myself as like any religion. I feel like every human should have a direct relationship with God. And they should honor that because he's the creator and he made us and he left us a blueprint on how to live a great life. And in the Bible, it mentions nothing about religion, and none of the religious uh, habits that I grew up learning, like Catholic, Christian, uh, you know, all the different sects of, of or, or, you know, sectors, sections of Christian, Christianity and Catholicism. Like, my mom was like, you know trying to find her way, I guess, you know, trying to find her relationship with God. So we would go to different types of churches. And when I read the book, it was like, I didn't find none of that in there. All I found was you live like this, you get this. Here's a story to prove it. You live like this, you get this. Here's a story to prove it. You live like this, you get this. Here's a story to prove it. If you do this, if you make this mistake, this bad thing will happen. Here's another story to prove that, right? 
That's all throughout the Bible. So I'm like, cool. Okay. So during that time, I was like, now what? What do I visualize? What do I, you know, so I, like I prayed on it and I'm like, you know what? Whatever happens, like I'm going to be with my family again. Whether it's in, so now my mind is like, whether it's in Canada, whether it's in the Dominican Republic, if these people don't let me back into the U.S., I'm going to figure it out, you know, um, and God is going to help me figure it out. So, so I was like, you know what, I'm going to stick to the same vision. And I made that decision to envision the same moment. And. It was crazy for me because like everything around me told me that wasn't going to happen, right? Because I was envisioning being in New York and I'm an immigration about to get deported, you know, fighting deportation. So it's like, we're having conversations like, okay, if we live in Canada, what would happen, right? If we move to the, if, you know, I'm going to end up in the Dominican Republic, I can go to Canada, we can live in Mexico, what about Australia? Like, these are the conversations we're having. But in my mind, every single day, I'm like, I'm going back to New York. There's, like, I thought I was crazy. I'm going to be honest with you. Like, nobody believed a lot of what I said. Because everybody would talk to me about, you know, what are you going to do when you go back to DR? Don't talk to me about that. I had to, I had so many arguments with my family members, even with my with my wife, because I had such a strong conviction that nobody believed. Nobody. And it was easy for me not to believe it either, because all the proof was you're getting deported because of this crime. And you got to start over in another country. Right. So in my mind, I'm like, that's not happening. I had that conviction and I didn't, I didn't let it sway. And so, um, one of the things that, that, you know, to, to, to go and, and answer your, your questions. Um, and, and this was a lesson that I learned. Um, I was there not because I did something wrong. I was there because I ignored the right thing to do and many times we think like okay i'm okay because i'm not doing wrong things but if i support wrong things in a way that is like like god created distinction he created good and like the, the distinction of good and bad of right from wrong right like I know like as a stoic, it's like we're not to label things good and bad. But I, I have a firm belief that like there is, you know, because if, if not, then what is morality? You know what I mean? Like if we are to be moral, what is that? You know, it's it's right and wrong. And in the Bible, it talks about righteousness. Right. And 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 all the virtues that Stoics believe in are also in the Bible. And so, and so like for me, it was, it was such a hard realization, but like if I 
if I see my brother doing wrong, if I care about you, Drew, and I see you doing the wrong thing, and I don't tell you, hey, man, you're doing the wrong thing. Do I actually care about you? You know what I'm saying? Like, if I, if I'm like, oh, you can do your thing. You want to be, you want to be, uh, you know, unrighteous. You want to be a fool. You want to do the wrong thing. You want to be, you know, uh, immoral. You do you. I'm gonna do me. Do I really care about you? If I let that happen, you know what I'm saying? So, so for me, it was like the realization of like, okay, I wasn't doing anything wrong, but I wasn't promoting righteousness, right? I wasn't promoting virtue. I wasn't promoting wisdom. I wasn't, I, I wasn't the example that I'm supposed to be. As righteous, as virtuous, as wise, right? So it was because of that. It's because of something that I that I that I lacked to do, not necessarily for something that I did. It I, like so, you know. I had to come to that realization. Like everything that happens in my life is my fault, right? So if this was my fault, what was the fault, right? And so for me, the fault was I failed to cut off the wrong thing. I failed to cut off the wrong thing. That's, that was my mistake. And that was a, it was a big mistake. You know, uh, um, <laughs> there's so many analogies to this, right? Like, like God put us here in a garden to tend the garden, right? What is part of tending a garden? You have to cut the weeds out. You have to, you know, trim the trees. You have to do all of that stuff. And if you don't do that, if you just focus on, I'm going to be righteous, I'm going to be righteous, I'm going to be righteous. If we don't purge and we don't dissociate with evil or what is wrong um, or what we see as immoral, what God sees as immoral, then we're kind of in the wrong. Right. So so that was a lesson that like it was hard, you know, but I learned it. And and then and another thing I learned is that the the people that love you the most are the people who created you. Because they have that responsibility. And I learned that like friends are friends, but they're not necessarily family all the time and who you really have and 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 you know like it's it sucks but like your family is your mother and your father until you get married and then that becomes your family right and so um i learned that you know i have two friends two true friends from that experience that that you know or, or i don't want to say a few you know a few people that stayed true and and helped in every way they could so i'm so eternally grateful for those people and and they know who they are you know um you talk about 
about truth and honesty and, and moral responsibility. Um, one of my favorite comedians, Patrice O'Neill, talks about the, the term brutal honesty seems wrong because someone that, that truly loves you, that truly cares about you, it's not, it's, it's, it, it's lies that are brutal. It's not honesty. Those, those couple true friends, those ones that you can call up at any time and you're like, I need you. And their response is just, what do you need? You know, we're lucky to have one or two of those in our lives. Uh, at, at any one point in time, some, some, some people never get that. I feel like that's why a lot of people stray from these pads. Um, yeah, as you were saying too, um, as far as moral responsibility or ability to respond to what you see as morals, a big part of that is all that's required for evil to flourish is for, for good men to do nothing. You know, we can, we can have our morals, but, you know, it's, it's why one of my favorite quotes is never abdicate your moral responsibility because if you see something wrong happening and you just let it happen, it, it almost goes back to conspiracy. You are complicit in, in that wrong. You know, if you truly feel morally about this, then get up and do something about it. Otherwise, you, on some level, are, are just as bad as, as the perpetrator. Yeah, and that, and that it, it, it took a lot of etymology and study of the law and like, what the hell is conspiracy? You know what I'm saying? Like, cause I've tried to understand it. Like from a legal standpoint, how can you do this? How is this fair? Right. Go back to, back to the question that, that, that you asked me, right? Like, like, how did I feel about like, I was like, no, this isn't fair, but I know this justice system in America isn't fair. So that's just how I saw it. And I'm like, okay, am I going to be a victim of it? Right? Am I gonna be, a, you know, just portrayed as a victim? So I'm like, I don't want to have victim mentality. I want to take responsibility for all of my mistake. What was my mistake here? So I had to understand it because if I would have gone in or came out of there like, oh, that was all wrong, full, wrongfully done to me. Notice the language. It was done to me, so I'm the victim. Right. So like for me, it was like understanding, OK, what is conspiracy? You knew about it and you didn't do nothing about it. How is that wrong? In my mind, snitches get stitches. You don't tell. You know what I'm saying? You don't. So I'm like, yo, I'm following what I learned. But what you said, you cannot abdicate your moral responsibility. So, you know, understanding that, like, if I'm a good man and I do nothing, I let evil flourish, as you just said. So that was a really, really hard realization. Um, because, like, it's so easy to blame, to play that blame game. It's so easy. But I remove all my power. Right. If it's somebody else's fault, I can't fix it. If it's my fault, I can fix it. So during that year, I dedicated like from from when I 
got my mind straight. I dedicated the entire time. I said, as long as I'm going to be in here, I'm going to be working on me. So I started reading and I, I can't tell you how many books I've read because like they moved me around a lot. And every single time I would lose all of my possessions. So like, I remember the first spot I was at, my dad sent me books on Buddha and Gandhi and um, Nelson Mandela. And, and I had the Bible. And that's where I started journaling. I started writing letters. Um, and, and then I lost all of that. And then the next spot, they had like this little library. Um, cause they had like this church in town that, that helped out the prisoners that was there. So, you know, they, they would bring us books and stuff. So I read a lot of books on ch early child development, you know, on learning, on how humans learn. Um, and oh, I want to say this earlier. We never stop learning. We should never stop learning, right? Um, we are energy. And the laws of physics state that energy is neither created nor destroyed. It keeps on moving, right? It keeps on changing form. And the second law of, of thermodynamics is the law of entropy. Anything left, left to itself moves closer and closer towards destruction, right? So if we're energy and we don't, take the, the the intention of working upon us and we just let ourselves go we don't grow like we have to be intentional about what we're going through because if we're really letting ourselves go like letting all life go and then you know we move closer and closer towards disruption and so um you know so i, I like I worked a lot on me and I just want, my focus was like, okay, I'm going to become a better, I'm going to be, I'm going to marry this woman because she, you know, when that happened, she was like, I'm not going nowhere. I'm sticking by your side. You know, it, and, and I told her like, you can, you can leave, like you can walk. I don't know how long this is going to be. I don't know what this is going to entail. You know, I don't know. Like, I'm depressed. I can't help you. I was in my bag. Right. And, and she had the opportunity to go. And I, and, and, and I was very like rude, probably, and hard headed and, 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 and all of that. So, um, where was I going with that? So, so, so yeah. Like I, I, I had to, I just want to become, a, I was like, I'm going to marry this woman. I'm going to become a better husband, become a better father. I'm just going to become a great human being. And, and so I started reading a lot. And then as the more I got to talk to people, more I realized like most people in here are uneducated and, and that's the issue. And so like, I would, <laughs> I would literally like be teaching people all the time. And I remember like, I would like inspire guys to like play Sudoku, you know, with the new, the daily newspaper and do the crossword puzzles and, you know, like play like mind games and do stuff like that. And, and then when I went to immigration, we had, we held Bible study. Um, and I would lead Bible study sometimes. 
so like during that time like i i was just like i'm gonna come out of here a better human being because whether it's like like i know i'm going back to the to, to to new york i'm coming back home but if god decides that there's a you know there's another thing he has for me or there's another path that i have to walk or whatever wherever it's going to be i'm going to be way better than when i came in so once i made that decision like i developed these habits of of reading every day, writing every day, like journaling, meditating, you know, self-awareness is huge, so huge. Um, because, because I believe like without self-awareness, you don't make behavior changes and behavior changes are proof of learning. You don't really learn until your behavior changes. So, um, so yeah, like, like I, I just learned a bunch of stuff and like basically i i'd say like the biggest thing that came out of that um was like personal development and 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 affirming you know what you believe in like when you believe in you and you have a firm belief like there is nothing more powerful than that nothing and there's no laws there's no like it those are one of the you know, when, when miraculous things happen and it goes against, you know, what we know as the laws of physics, what we know as, as something that's supposed to happen, there was so much belief in that moment. And it's the only reason it happened. You, you mentioned miracles and miracles. Yeah. I mean, really part of the definition is it, it defies logic. Um, and obviously yeah. you, you're here now talking to us. So you, your story has, um, a happy ending, I, I, I guess. So I want to get to that, yes. but, you, um, you're talking about like, uh, the Stoics teach Amor Fati, love your fate. You know, you have control yes. over what you can and you don't have control over what you don't. So, you know, as we grow and learn, we try to not worry about what we can't. And I, I, I can understand where you were coming from saying, look, you know, to, to your wife, if you, if you need to leave, I, I can't hold that against you, but it speaks to, you, you spoke of conviction earlier and I got to hand it off to her, to, to her conviction to say, no, I'm, I'm going to stick with you through this, not knowing how long it's going to last. I mean, you, you said when you got out, your, your kid was four or five months old. So your child was born yeah, halfway through months. it. So yeah, you, th there must've been sometime towards the end that you're just wondering, I don't know how long we're going to be in here because you're locked up and your kid's been born. You've been locked up for as long as you were before your kid was born. I, but there's, there's a certain irrationability in conviction um, to really believe that something's going to happen. You have to, you know, think that a miracle is going to happen. You have to defy that logic a little bit. You know, you, you can, yep. there, there, there's other people looking at the facts, the situation and denying it. But if you've got that conviction and you had that conviction, your wife had that conviction that no, we're, yeah. we're going to beat this. We're going to get through this. So um, before we, 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 we get to your song and close this out. Yeah. Tell me how, how everything ended up resolving itself with all that. Yeah. So 
honestly, I'll just say like it was the grace of God because um like we went to court and she spoke to the judge and I spoke to the judge and the lawyer spoke to the judge or, or so the lawyer spoke then I spoke but when my wife spoke it was like it was it was like the word of like like the spirit of God entered her and she said the perfect things because first of all she she had never spoken public she doesn't like public speaking she was arguing with I, I, she told me this after but she was arguing with the lawyer telling her him no that she wasn't going to speak at all because my sister was there that day and she was like i'm not going to do it she has to do it you know she's here my sister's like yeah i'm going to speak you know i'm gonna you know let the judge know like you know um he's been here almost all his life went to college um you know had a built a reputable business and and i had tons of letters um from people on the outside like you know uh, uh, uh supporting like you know who i was and i had a pretty good gpa in college um so like you know it looked good but you know when she spoke it was like the judge actually listened and again by the grace of god <laughs> they let me come home um so and, and then and then the journey started <laughs> and um you know coming back to nothing right coming back to debt because the vehicle got repoed um you know my friend never showed up again um they had to take the car from him obviously the bank accounts nothing in there so i had to come home start working immediately i got two jobs um my my wife's aunt blessed us with a vehicle um and then we we found our own apartment and then you know everything was going good and then there was black mold in our apartment had to move out of there went into a then my wife is pregnant again <laughs> so i come home knock her up um so i got my vision right and and, and it's wow. funny it's it's funny because like in that vision i had envisioned myself as i said in new york and it was at my mom's house and um yeah man i got i got that vision bro and it was the best moment ever. And, you know, I told her as soon as it happened. Like, as soon as it happened, I started crying. And she was like, what the fuck? Like, you just said I love you. And I said I love you too. And then you just started crying. Like, what, are you okay? And then I explained to her, like, this was the, this was it. It's like this moment right here. Like, this is what you thought I, this is why you thought I was crazy. You know, this is our miracle right here. So, um, so that happened, um, and then we're bouncing around homeless, 
um, we end up, uh, that happens for a few years, man. Me just working hard. Um, I started doing Uber again, try to rebuild the same business. Things were completely different because over the year, like Uber, like completely took over the, the private sector. Um, so it, it wasn't the same, you know, I couldn't make as much money and, and, um, we struggled for, for a few years. We ended up, uh, coming to Texas for a few months, seeing the way it was down here. Um, it didn't work out. So we went back to New York. I got my license. My dad helped me get my trucking license. Um, and then, you know, fast forward, COVID happens. I'm an essential worker in New York. So now I'm at risk. I got to get paid more. Um, but it wasn't healthy. So like it was to the point where we bought a ladder. We were on the second floor of a building and we bought a ladder to take our kids to the park out of the ladder because we were scared to go out the lobby. Wow. Um, and we were like, yo, this shit is unhealthy, you know, and we told some people about it and they were like, ouch, you know, like, wow. And so, you know, we had some money saved up and I was like, listen, like, I think Texas is like free, you know, like they don't have like this extreme lockdown. So let's get, let's get out of here. This is like, we can't raise our kids in here. Like, I don't want to raise my kids in the jungle. New York City is a concrete jungle. I grew up in it. Yeah, it made me tough. Let's 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 do something better for our family. Um, so we came down here on a whim. <laughs> I was like, I got this CDL license. I'm gonna figure it out. Um, ended up getting a few jobs, dude. I won't get into this whole story, but got fucked over by this guy. Got left stranded in New Jersey. Um, while my wife is pregnant again with our last child. So this happened in, in, uh, 2019, 2020, um, right. Yeah. We're, yeah. It happened in 2020, 2021. Um, uh, I get left stranded in Jersey and we were like at our last, you know, couple weeks of savings and there, I had worked for two weeks and that check was going to like pay the bills and Christmas presents. And the guy didn't pay me. He left me stranded in Jersey, like totally fucked me over. Um, and like, I'll never forget that because that was the last time I physically saw my dad. And he taught me one of the biggest lessons, which was like that, God's revenge is better than my revenge because if I get revenge, I get consequences and God's revenge comes with no consequences. So if I just forgive, right? Like as, as we're supposed to do, right? Um, walk in the way of Jesus and, and do the right thing and, and forgive those, you know, if you get slapped, turn the other cheek. So I forgave, and then two days later, I get a call for, like, a great job, um, which, like, now I manage two construction companies, and that's where it started, that phone call, um, after I decided to forgive, and um, 
and uh, then so uh, at the end of 2021, I uh, joined the NFTs. Start, NFTs started coming out, so I um, I bought some NFTs, joined this amazing community of entrepreneurs. Um, shout out to Kangaroo Heroes. Um, and me and my buddy started a book club and I started teaching again and mentoring. And that's when I started coaching. And so, um, I started, it's 2022 in May, I started coaching and I'm in, in June, I made my first thousand dollars coaching and it changed my life forever. Cause I'm like, yo, I can I can provide for my family while helping other people through transformations, like actually helping people do things that they want to do, serving people as like I'm supposed to do, like I'm being a good freaking person. <laughs> I get to help people and they pay me to do it and they're freaking happy about paying me. Wow. Where was this all my life? Right. So, um, so yeah, um, that is my happy reality now. Um, and and of, again, I'm learning, right? Like, I'm never going to stop learning. I'm never going to stop, you know, figuring it out. Uh, um, my, my, my wife's grandmother is 80 years old. That woman works out every day. She's active. She's, she's healthy. Like, so... I got a long way to go. What happens if I stop learning now? I move closer and closer towards destruction, right? So I'm, I, I always say this, like I'm just getting started. In 10 years, I'll just be getting started, right? Um, that's why my pinned tweet is like, we're always starting something. You know what I'm saying? Like we're, we're always in this constant state of growth and, and, um, and it's it's the more we focus on the growth, the greater our growth will be, and then ultimately the greater impact we'll have. That there's so much truth to that. The more you focus on the growth, the greater your growth will be. Um, what you've been talking about it reminds me of this one, this one interview I listened to probably ten years ago or so. But um, the interview asked this man, uh, Norman Lear. He uh, he created a bunch of sitcoms like in the 70s, but he was 93 years old at the time of the interview. And um, wow. he said, I'm a very different person than I was at 88 five years ago. He's like, in five years, I've learned wow. a lot. I've grown. And to hear that, to hear someone, wow. I mean, because like when you're young, you think, okay, once you're grown, you're an adult, you've got it figured out. We see elderly people who are set in their ways. Yeah. And and to hear that, and even if that's not everyone, to have that possibility that wow. you can be 93 and still five years can have can still have that much of an effect on you, like, I want to cling on to that. That seems like the kind of idea yes. that, that seems worthwhile, to never stagnate, to always keep growing and keep that's, – that's why I gravi – I've always gravitated towards philosophy, but so much more because it's – there's this great meme and it's got like a bunch of uh, guys in Greece or whatever, but it's like me and the boys thinking about thinking. And that's something you can <laughs> always work on. You can always 
yes. develop your thought process and and look at situations yes. from different perspectives. Um, yes. I, I'm an artist, so one of the real difficult things in, in drawing is is learning perspective and how to make things look like they're not just floating in a room. You know, you've got your horizon line mm. and everything, and perspective just from from etymology like we discussed earlier it's it's those different viewpoints it's and to be able to it's it's very much related to empathy i think and being able to to see other people's perspective but anytime i can try and get in somebody else's head as much as i can and see something through their eyes it's it's how we can be self-aware it's how we we can grow as people it's why I always say that I'm unoffendable. There's no jokes that are going to bother me because like if if somebody said nothing's ever offensive to me because, well, for one, we talked about taking that moment, that breath. And if someone says something that may offend you, well, for one, it's when people speak, people forget that it's, it's 90, 95% what's going on in their head. It's, it's usually very little right. what's actually about you and it's where they're coming from. You don't know what kind of morning they yep. had. You don't know what conversation they just had with their parents. So don't take offense to it. And, and those or rare times. Yeah. And we talked about quote unquote brutal honesty, but that, that truth, those true friends that will tell you when you're screwing up if somebody says yep. something where it stings, you know, where it's it's that moment where when when you're taking that breath before you react emotionally and you think about it, if it if it hits, maybe that's something that okay, maybe I need to step back and look in the mirror and and really look into this because if it if it still stings at that point, then there's a reason for that. Maybe there's something that that I need to change about myself. All right, you know what? Let's let's get into your song here. This is "Build My Life" by Tribal, featuring Joel Barnes, Ryan Ophi, and Jacqueline Carr. I'm sure I butchered some of those names. Uh, which yeah, what <laughs> what um what genre would you describe this as? So that would be gospel. Um, I would I think that's what people call it um and at, when you asked me that i had i had a different song in mind yesterday because you asked me this yesterday but then to, and i was meditating on it last night because i'm like man i want to give him three songs and then when i woke up this was like you know how sometimes you wake up with a thought or you ever wake up with a song in your head like yep. I literally tried to think about something else, and the only thing that came out of my brain this morning was the lyrics from the song. Like no other song. And like the reason why I gave you a second song is because I had wrote it down yesterday. But the but the other one that I wanted, I didn't. I forgot to write it down. So like it escaped me. So yeah, that this is the song that I couldn't get out of my head, and so I guess maybe there's a reason for that, right? I think they call that serendipity. Yep. <laughs> All right. This is Build My Life. Oh, great song. I love the the passion that's always in, in gospel music and their voices. There's always so much 
emotion and heart in yeah. it. It's it's impossible to ignore. And yeah, I really like the video for that song because it looks, you know, most gospel you would, you know, it's like re- recorded in a church or something. They got great acoustics mm-hmm. anyways. But this is recorded, it looks like a hip-hop cypher, the way they've got all the crowd there and they're recording it yeah. live and everything. But yeah. all that passion and energy is still there in the audience and everything. That's uh, that that's very interesting. I like that a lot. Yeah, that one's definitely going on the playlist for sure. Yeah, that the um, the artists specifically Maverick City, um, a lot of of their their YouTube um, videos, especially the like my favorite songs from them, are like that. You know, it's like they have the entire energy in the studio you know and everyone is singing and like like it's just it's just like you said you know when you feel that emotion that that there's so much power in that um when people sing with that emotion with that joy because you know like when when you have been through some stuff like you can relate to the words with your emotions like there's a lot of power in that, you know. So I I, I love that them for that, um, and and yeah, there's there's a reason why that song was on my head, you know, as soon as I woke up. Yeah, I I, I can definitely relate. Yeah, yeah, it really hit hard. All right, this has been an incredible interview. I've. We'll de- we're definitely going to have to do this again and uh, dig into some more stuff. I, I, I can tell you've got tons and tons of lessons. You, you, you definitely find your calling as a coach and being able to bring that, that positivity and joy. And uh, you know, like you are talking about earlier, you're just bringing education to people. So yes. this was Coach Turby. You can find him on all socials at Coach underscore Turby. Uh, he's he's got a website turbotransformation.gumroad.com uh, or you can get a, a free book to um, punishing procrastination uh, that's always um, I have a lifelong battle with procrastination I think many of us do yeah I think if you go that that link it's I think it's slash handbook for the for the the, the free book the free slash book handbook procrastination Okay, cool. Yeah. And then that link can be found at his at his uh Twitter bio as well. Um but this yeah. is chill someone else. We don't um we don't chill ourselves here. We chill someone else. So I'm I'm shilling you. Uh tell us who 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 do you want the audience to know about? Who 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 do you want to show some love to? Myron Golden. And the reason being because He's a very smart guy. He's in his 60s. And he, he's he been through a lot. And wow, it's funny that I'm thinking about it now. He's been through my worst fear, is what we talked about earlier. And um, he teaches business success principles based on the Bible. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the reason why I like I'd say like everybody go check them out because when we think about like what we're taught in schools is from a book. When we go and learn on our own, we usually go learn in a book, 
right? Our experience teaches us things, and we have to develop self-awareness to do that. But the, the start of it is usually a book, right? And so if we go back, like, what are what is one of the oldest books that we have is the Bible, right? These are the, the scriptures or the oldest text that we have, you know, even before the time of the Stoics. So, um, like, going back to the original source of knowledge and dissecting that, I think is such a valuable skill. And Myron Golden has a really, really powerful way of doing that without pushing, without including religion. Um, and yeah, so if, if you start watching this stuff, you'll see that like, you know, I, 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 I learned a lot from him because like, like that book, the, the Bible, there's so much wisdom in there, just sound, sound wisdom. And when you read it slowly and dissect it in, in the way that he does, uh, it, it changes, it changes your behavior. <laughs> so that's learning, right? So, um, so yeah, that's the reason why I, I'd say everybody go check him out. His name is M Y R O N Golden. Like G O L D yeah. There's a reason why why we still tell stories in the the hero's journey structure. It's because stories yes. in human history, there's something inherent about them. Um, almost in the way that we all can can relate to music. You know, even even tribes that are disconnected from all of culture can still understand a 4-4 time beat and there's something about stories and their ability to to teach a lesson um you know that's that's really what what the scripture is full of it's just stories that are meant to impart wisdom and impart some kind of lesson so yeah that's that's truly important yep. and in this segment i did want to touch on you mentioned uh Kangaroo Heroes, the NFT project. Um, was it was it Victor that that brought you to the 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 Be So Spaces on Twitter? Yeah, yeah, Vic brought me to the Be So Space because yeah, I met him. I met him through through Kangaroo Heroes. I got the, the skateboard up there. I don't know if you see that? It's a bad angle, <laughs> but um, I'll bring it down. It's really cool. Ah. Oh, that's slick. Oh, that's really cool. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, so um amazing community. I've met some amazing people. Some really, really great people like Vic. Um and yeah, yeah, he put me on to, to the B Stoic space. All right. Well, um I don't want to take any more of your time. Coach Turby, this has been fantastic i had a great time thank you i did as well man you, you asked some really really good questions so i appreciate you for that because because it's you know it's it's always good to to go back and relive these moments so to say um you know like i find myself learning from my story every time i tell it you know that's why like as i'm talking i'm like taking notes Wow, I never said that before, you know, um, because, you know, based off the questions that 
I get asked, I can analyze that same story in multiple ways. And, you know, that goes back to like perspective and all that. But yeah, we could talk about this for hours, <laughs> man. So, so yeah, I say that all to say thank you. You know, this was, this was really great for me as well. And, and, uh, I got a bunch of notes here, um, from things that you said, um, things that I said. So I would be, uh, sitting with this for, for a little bit today. So thank you. I appreciate you. And it's like we just discussed um, how stories have the ability to to impart wisdom and impart a lesson. And I think that's a big part of how we grow and gain our own wisdom is is looking yeah. back and, and how we tell our own story. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Stories are so important. Um, I, I look forward to doing this with you, man. I, um, I'm, I'm working on uh, getting my podcast up and running again um i'd love to to interview you you mentioned you were an artist um definitely want to learn more about that and your journey you know and and how it was like you know raising kids as a kid as you said you know all and and how it is having a te having teenagers because you see you have a 20 something year old and an 18 year old um so so yeah, we got to do this the other way around as well. Absolutely. Tit for tat, for sure. For sure. All right. Well, this has been Interlocutor Radio with Drew Aces and Coach Turby. Would you kindly question everything?